This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber, and this is the Out of Bounds Podcast. And today, we have Shelby Stanger on the show. Shelby is a writer, an explorer, a podcast host, and so much more. We chat about her new book, Will to Wild. Uh, it is out next week, so you'll be able to purchase that thing. Wherever books are sold, you get the audiobook, the whole deal. Support what Shelby's doing because it's awesome. Uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you to everybody that listened to the last couple episodes. We've got some really good feedback on those ones, so I'm glad people took the time to listen. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm super excited and I always appreciate the feedback. If you have questions, concerns, comments, you can always email me, adam at outofpodcast.com. Before we jump into the show, we have partners. Rumple is a partner of the Out of Bounds podcast. They're running a sale on their website right now, so you can get 25% off on a new Rumple blanket, an everywhere towel, uh, whatever you want, really. I mean, Rumple makes all kinds of awesome stuff. I could not possibly have more blankets at this point in my life. I'm a huge fan of those things. I bring them everywhere with me, and we've got some awesome content coming up with the people at Rumple uh, that I think people will be really excited about. Go to rumple.com, R-U-M-P-L.com, and get yourself a new blanket today. Next, we have our friends at Fisher Skis. Fisher Skis has been a partner of the Out of Bounds podcast for a long time. I'm a huge fan of everything that Fisher makes, but as you probably know, I actually think that they make the new best touring ski on the planet in the new Transalp. You'll see it in stores this fall. It is so much better than the old Hannibal. The Hannibal was good. This is unbelievable. It's a little heavier, but I I will I'll put this ski up pound for pound against anything that exists in ski touring right now. It's so good. Um, if you have questions, sizing, any of that stuff, feel free to shoot me a message on the gram, on Twitter, on whatever other social media, or shoot me an email. I'm happy to help you pick the right gear. But we're gonna try to make it a Fisher product. Go to fishersports.com and get all the info on the new Transalp series, as well as anything else you might be interested in, like BOA, which is a big thing if you haven't heard yet for next season. There's some good stuff. There's some good stuff coming for 2023. I'm excited for the gear guide to come out. That'll be coming out next few months. So keep an eye out for that. Awesome new cover. I'm, I'm psyched. Anyway, fishersports.com. Without further ado, here's Shelby. Shelby, why don't we start and you tell me who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of go on from there. All right. I'm Shelby Stanger, and I just wrote a new book called Will to Wild, Adventures Great and Small to Change Your Life. And I also host a podcast like you. It's called Wild Ideas Worth Living, and REI is the owner of it now, but I'm still the host. I sold it to them in 2016. Nice. It's still going strong. And yeah, like you, I have a big background in the action sports and outdoor industry. Awesome. How, why did you start a podcast? Why, like that was pretty early on in the podcast thing. So tell me a little bit about what made you want to listen to the sound of your own voice all the time and uh, kind of share that with other people. I did not want to listen to the sound <laughs> of my own voice. I actually I was thought I sounded like a 12 year old boy and I was really nervous to start a podcast. So that was like a big deterrent to me, but I yeah. loved journalism. I'd actually been a journalist 
you know, I found a column that I wrote at age 19, and it was an adventure sports column in all five beach community papers in San Diego. And at first it was called Breaking News, but then I just found one. It was called Going Wild. And here I thought that I stole wild from Cheryl Strayed, but apparently I was before her. And <laughs> I had this podcast called Going Wild where I interviewed people who biked across the country, surfed for a cause and did all these crazy things and I loved it but I was getting 30 bucks an hour and that wasn't going to be my career um but I never forgot that I guess so flash forward years later I ended up getting a job working at Vans working in marketing loved my job loved the people at Vans had a really sweet gig there but I wanted to go back into telling stories and so I started I quit my job in 08 09 at the height of the recession the first one yeah. that I re really remember. And it made no sense on paper, but I quit to start telling stories and I wrote for Outside Magazine, ESPN, you name it. And then I started to take some side gigs. I lived in Costa Rica, I lived in New Zealand, met a guy, um, we're still together 12 years later, I'm trying to tell a long story short. But flash forward in 2016, I was between gigs and I was still writing for magazines and my stories were getting smaller and I had these amazing interviews with people. Like I'd interviewed Wim Hof really early on. He's the guy who's known as yeah, yeah, yeah. the Iceman. And it was an early interview with him. I was so proud of it. And the story just got edited in a way that I was, that I didn't think did Wim Hof justice. And I had mm -hmm. all this tape of our conversation. I was like, I wish just the interview could live rather than this 400, 500 word story. Yeah. And I'd been listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast. I really liked Tim Ferriss. And I loved his show, but he talks a lot about tech and he interviewed a lot of dudes, which is fine. But I was like, it'd be really cool if he interviewed adventures and also more women. Yeah. And everybody's like, you should start a podcast. And so I, at the time I knew I had been an, I've been a journalist. I actually wrote about the business of the outdoor and action sports industry for a site called Shop Eat Surf, where we went to retail stores, probably like <laughs> your parents, yeah, and interviewed yeah. brands. So I knew a lot about business, but I never started one myself. And I was like, you know, maybe this podcast could be a business and I could reach so many more people and encourage them to go after their wild ideas. And it's funny, I I ended up writing, a, talking about the same things I wrote about when I was age 19. And I posted this old journalism clip three days ago on Instagram of these twins who biked across the country and someone's like, Oh, that's my mom. <laughs> and it's this like famous adventurer whose mom was like 60 when I interviewed her. And I thought that was wild that a 60 year old woman and her sister would want to bike across the country. Yeah. And now her kid is basically doing the same kind of thing. Oh, that's awesome. What, why, <laughs> I guess the, the thing I never really understand about people that start podcasts is why go to that medium as opposed to continuing writing, continuing like just doing the video oh, aspect yeah, of it, okay. doing a series. Um, like I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why I did it. You know what I mean? Like it just really? kind of happened. I know exactly why I did it. Like I loved the interview part of journalism the most mm. and I could get stories out of anybody. I mean, even my editor was like, you have this knack for getting stories out of anyone. And I don't know, in journalism, you have to write, you have to condense your quotes so someone's full story isn't really told. And often it's altered in a way that isn't always the full truth of their story. 
Yeah. And podcasting, all you do is you talk and you have this deep conversation and it's intimate and other people can listen in and you can listen anywhere. I don't know. When I found podcasting, I was like, this is, this is it. This is incredible. And yeah. I embraced it. I actually tried to sell my podcast immediately to magazines and they're like, yeah. no. And I was like, you should have bought it. But yeah, well. now in hindsight, probably like probably would have been a good idea. Yeah, for sure. Um, most interesting guests that you've talked to on the show so far? I mean, do you have one? I mean, I'm sure there's a million conversations you've enjoyed, but like I have some that stand out for me. So I'm wondering if you do for you. Yeah, the most interesting is probably the oldest guest. She's a 91-year-old. At the time, she was 91, and she's a Holocaust survivor. And there's just not many of those people left mm. on Earth. And I'd first heard her talk when I was in eighth grade, and her story, you know, her wild idea really is just the wild idea to live. But she taught me a lot. You know, she said, I think a lot of adventures, I'm sure people listening to your podcast will relate. Adventure, pursuing it, is a little bit selfish. And mm -hmm. she's like, no. Self-love is self-care. It's not selfish. And pursuing adventure and your wild idea is often just an act of self-care. And um, yeah. she said so many other things that stuck with me that were really powerful, like why we should have a why and so much more. But she was interesting. I loved interviewing Alex Honnold. Like people at the top of their game are fascinating. Um, Win Willie, who's also known as Patty Gonia, was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually took Patty surfing in... So it was the first podcast she'd ever done and we went surfing and she had these platform heeled boots that definitely made a dent in one of the surfboards that was easily repairable. <laughs> but I think just being around Patty and Wynn's energy was really incredible. Also, Bethany Hamilton. I mean, there's people who push themselves at the top of their game that are really special to be around. Um, I interviewed a really unique guy last year and he's the cave diver who rescued the Thai soccer team that mm, had been okay. stuck in the cave. And he was kind of a quirky guy, but incredibly smart and just had a sense of him, himself, like didn't care what other people thought mm -hmm. and just had such a strong sense of his self and was okay being kind of a weirdo, but ended up rescuing all these people. And he's a total hero. Um, I really enjoyed interviewing him. So I like people at the top of their game who are really pushing the envelope and who are completely unafraid to be themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like some, I feel like more often than not, those people that are at the top are always a little quirky. Like they have their little bits that you're like, are you, are you with me right now? And it's just like their brains are working faster than like the conversation is happening or, you know, I'm not getting it. Like whatever it is that they have, like I'm just not able to always get where their head's at. So I think, and I think that's the case with a lot of people where you're just trying to figure out why they're so quirky, but then you're like, okay, this person is at the top for a reason. Like they have a sole focus and they have a drive that, that really motivates them. I think, I think for me, it's not necessarily that these people were, were quirky, but like, like Alex Honnold was so fun to be around. The guy has an incredible sense of humor, <clears throat> which to me is like a really, you know, it's something I wrote about in Will of the Wild. Like I think having a sense of humor is one of the most important tools you need when you pursue adventure. And it's something he relies on a lot. And he cracks really funny jokes with his climbing partners, even in perilous situations. And I think big wave surfers do that too. But also there's this guy, Jim Rohn, who, you know, says you're the sum of the people that you spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I loved writing about people 
who are pursuing these wild ideas because I've always been kind of a scared person and being around these people has always really motivated and encouraged me to like be less afraid. And so that's why I like interviewing people who are, you know, really doing these amazing wild ideas themselves. Are you okay, Adam? Do we need to get you some water? I know I'm dying. I don't know what's, it's the allergies here. It's so bad. Like people are going to kill me. Um, that's just like, that's how it goes around here. I rode bikes Do I need to get you today. some tea? Oh my God. I'm like trying to suck down some water here to make it a little better, but I think we'll be it's, in good shape. Okay. Luckily we can like edit some of this stuff, but <laughs> it's okay. um, I like at least on my end, which is the nice thing about you recording the audio <laughs> on your end. So like people don't have to hear me like joking to death over here. I rode bikes earlier <laughs> today and I'm like, it, it's crazy. Cause you can see the pollen just caked onto everything. Like the trees are like white with pollen at this point. So that's my, that's my excuse. And I'm sticking to it. I think. Okay, I like that. I, I actually surfed for the first time in many weeks. It's been really bad in San Diego, and there's a south swell right now. And I took a couple waves on the head because I borrowed a board that's um, very thick. It was really hard for me to duck dive it. <laughs> I got totally blown up. So I was, I'm very surprised that I'm also not sounding like I have frogs in my throat or nose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, when did you get into surfing, and how did you get into surfing? I mean, I'm one of those lucky kids who grew up in... Encinitas, Cardiff, California. Oh, nice. I went to Cardiff Elementary School and, you know, no girls really surfed in my right. little grade or town, but all the guys did. And I really wanted to be just like them and surfed. My parents are from the East Coast. My dad was from Brooklyn, New York. My mom was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They did not surf. My dad did not like the sand. He was a dentist and he agreed <laughs> to take me boogie boarding at the beach. But like Rob Machado's mom was my teacher's aide in third grade she was our teacher and so i wore bo- oh, awesome. there was no roxy i would have worn roxy but there was boys gotcha so i wore boys gotcha to be just like rob yeah. and i think that's probably where you know growing up in this town i got the idea that you could make a living as a surfer and i've never been good enough or even close to good enough to make it as a professional surfer but i begged people to teach me how to surf and you know my dad didn't really understand it and he, i played competitive soccer but <laughs> He ended up passing away the summer I turned 12 and my sister bought me a surfboard, which is on this rack behind me. And it was like busted in half, which I didn't even realize until <laughs> recently, but it had been like repaired and the surf shop was like probably just sold it to my sister as a sucker. And uh, I could barely <laughs> stand on the thing, but I loved it. I slept with it in my bed. Like I just loved everything about being in the water and feeling the waves push me and I think I ended up going to surf camp the summer I turned 12 and it was a camp where you could sail, kayak, surf, windsurf, or water ski. And the water ski instructors were also the instructors at SeaWorld and they were really cool and they were all kids from San Diego State or UCSD and they partied and they were fun. And so (laughs) I took surf camp in the morning and then in the afternoon I do all these other water sports and I just loved it. And then my t- my instructors were mostly guys and they were adorable and I was like in love with all of them. And then one day I had a female instructor named Izzy Tihani. She happened to teach Princeton Review SAT classes and speak mm. fluent French and Spanish. So my mom loved her. And at the time, you know, my dad had passed away. So my mom was a single mom. She was a teacher at San Diego State. We got mm-hmm. a deal at the surf camp and she hired Izzy to basically be my babysitter. So she's the one who kind of really got me surfing. She was a surfer. She had surfed on the UCSD surf team. And I don't know. I, 
I'm not a good surfer still today. I have <laughs> absolute terrible style, but the biggest smile. And I, I, I just love it. I love the feeling of gliding down a wave. And I also like all everything about it. I love sitting in the water and waiting for waves. I find it really meditative. Yeah. And I'm really fortunate that we live in front of a little break in San Diego where there's not a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think people get into and they get into it more th- for more than just the surfing. It feels like they get into it because it's like a way to completely disconnect from everything else and just be present. And there's there's very few sports like that where you're just out there, right? And you're like, it is a meditative experience, I think, for, for so many people that do it. And it's also funny that you mentioned, like, I'm still a terrible surfer because I feel like every surfer says that. And every no, surfer some people is think like, they're good. Oh, I, talk to people I, who I don't know good. any that think they're good. Even ones that I know are good are like, no, I'm terrible. And I'm like, if you're terrible, what what am I? How do I how do I fit in this equation? Like, I'm a god awful surfer. I bet you're pretty good. Oh um, no, chance. I bet you're not awful. I bet you're decent. Yeah, but I think it's the same reason why you know people rock climb. I think right. Many people who are attracted to adventure have a lot of energy. And sometimes if that energy isn't burned for me, it's a little destructive. Yeah. And I don't know, being present is challenging for me, but yeah, in the water or on a rock wall, you're forced to be present. You often get into flow. But I think there's so many other things about surfing. I think there's so many great metaphors and lessons I've learned from surfing that I haven't learned anywhere else in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that I wish we had the opportunity to do a little bit more on the East Coast. It's I'm very jealous often of my West Coast counterparts because honestly, things like mountain biking are not the same for me. Like, yes, do you have to be like pretty locked in the whole time? But it's like it's so easy to just like stop, pay attention to a notification on your phone or like get distracted by any one of the number of things that could be going on in your life. And it just it doesn't bring the same separation for me as like rock climbing or surfing. It's funny. Like those two things are things that are highlights for me always when I'm like trying to just go do a thing and not worry about anything else. So I haven't figured out a way to do that. Even though like I'm a much better mountain biker than I am a surfer or a rock climber. It's not a thing that brings me like any sense of calmness. I don't think. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think, one of the great things about surfing, unlike most sports, is there's so much of our life that's predictable now because of technology, Yeah. but waves are not. And so there's this element mm-hmm. of surprise, which, you know, I also wrote a lot about this, but awe is one of those emotions that can take us out of our head, can make us feel more present, more connected, more humble. It's a really cool emotion that makes us feel gratitude. And it often happens, we often get that emotion when something really great happens or we see this incredible thing or something unpredictable happens like a dolphin leaps or an incredible wave breaks. Right. We can get that mountain biking. You see a cool, you do a cool trick or you see this incredible vista or I don't know, you eat crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Sometimes> <laughs> <Yeah>. that also <laughs> I was gonna say, makes like, the that's, experience off. Yeah, that's my speed. <gasps> I have a scar from mountain biking in Table Mountain when I was, so when I was this like young journalist, I went and worked for a summer in South Africa and I was like, I really want to write about adventure. And my professor was cool. He was this like really serious journalist. And he's like, you know, Shelby, 
why don't you just pitch them? So I pitched how many adventures you could do in one day in Cape Town, South Africa. And like one of the last adventures was to bike down Table Mountain. And I had <laughs> never mountain biked in my life. And I just fell face over the handlebars and uh, I still have a scar on my knee from it, but it was so fun. Do you still ride at all? I rode for the first time last year at Mammoth. I, awesome. I was writing this book. I found writing really sedentary and challenging and lonely. I don't yeah. find podcasting lonely because at least I'm talking to someone else. Yeah. But sitting and staring at a computer was tricky. So I begged Johnny to like take a trip with me to Mammoth. And he just was like, he he's mountain biked. So he took me straight to the very top of the mountain and was like, okay, let's go down. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? And there was this little kid in front of me who was like this, had like all the gear. He was maybe nine. Yeah. And he charged. And he's like, it's okay. He totally talked me down. And he's like, you're going to be fine. Just follow me. I followed him for about 10 yards and then he was off. And then um, it was so fun. I mean, it wasn't a very hard route to get down the mountain, but it was beautiful and so yeah. fun. So yeah. I've downhill mountain biked before. Yeah. Those nine-year-olds, those like little kids that get into it early, it's it's crazy because they're everybody's always like, oh, they're fearless. But it's like they're fearless and they just – it's that, but it's also the fact that they pick up everything so fast that like it took forever for adults or people that started this later in life to do. It's it's insane to me. And I, I like this trend that's kind of happening now where you're starting to see a lot more parents bring their little kids – into outdoor sports as opposed to just traditional stick and ball sports. Like I, I think those things have a place too. And I really, I really enjoyed them. I played sports my entire high school, college life and it's awesome, but it's nice to see these younger kids like getting the actual experience of being outside, finding an activity they really like and kind of connecting with nature in that way. And I think it's just, I think it's going to build a little more respect for like the spaces that we have and that we recreate in a lot more long-term. I, I think it's a really great thing. I 100% agree. I, I love taking my niece and nephews outside, whether it's surfing or hiking or just looking at stars. They get it and yeah. they're attracted to it. And if you go, I mean, in San Diego, if you go to the local beach in Cardiff, these kids rip and they're like <laughs> tiny. It's so cool to see it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's insane. The, a 13-year-old girl just won X Games this past weekend. Like, I don't know if you saw, saw this or not. But, like, it's it's bonkers to see what people are. I, every day I'm getting a clip in my feed of some, like, 8-year-old that's, like, you know, hitting these insane BMX jumps or whatever. Like, it, it's really cool to see that popping up more and more. And I think, obviously, the Internet makes it seem like it's a little more than it actually is. But it's I'm seeing it all around town more often than I ever have before. I mean, I don't know what you played in college, but I played soccer all the yeah. way through college and I was on the Olympic development team and it was really serious and there was a lot of pressure. I love soccer. I'm happy for that experience. I was a goalkeeper, so it was super stressful. <laughs> like yeah. you're either the hero or the villain, <laughs> but I don't know. There's lines, there's rules and there's not nature. And yeah. I think when you add nature and you add this like sense of freedom and creativity that outdoor sports have it's it opens up another dimension it's really yeah. good for kids yeah yeah i was i was playing basketball and i kind of felt the same way eventually like i just kind of got disenchanted with the whole thing because i wanted to go skiing like i had so much fun going skiing and just being able to be out there with my friends and do whatever i wanted and that's what kind of started to pull me away from traditional sports was 
Like, I, I don't want to have to be at practice five days a week and thinking about it seven days a week. I, I can go skiing whenever and leave the mountain and I've just, I've gotten my fulfillment out of the day versus it becomes like a job when you're trying to play anything at a higher level. It feels like it's, and I'm sure professional outdoor sports are something like that to an extent, but you see so many of these people that do it as a career and they're just out there having fun. Yeah. There's stressful parts that you don't see. And like, I talk to people about that all the time, the, the job aspect of what they do. But I think at the end of the day, they got into it because they really just wanted to do it every single day. So that part of it is never a problem for them. Totally. So wait, what, where did you go to college? Uh, Westfield state. And you played basketball there. Mm-hmm. Dang. Are you tall? Yeah. No, I can't tell. I'm no? like six. I'm like six foot. That's pretty tall. I mean, it's not tall compared to like everybody else. I mean, in, in a D3 school, yeah, it's tall. But like, it's not <laughs> definitely not tall compared to any of the other people out there. It's funny. I also went to Division three school. I applied all Division one schools. And then I ended up going to the one Division three school I applied to because I was just at that point, I was over it. I didn't, yeah. I didn't want soccer to be, there was no professional women's soccer at the time. Yeah. Um, there is now. It's, it's really cool to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of did it because like I did it as a walk on and I was just because I had stopped playing my junior year in high school. I was just like, this is too fucking much. Like I want to go and I want to go skiing. So I skipped my senior year entirely. And then I just decided to play once I got back to college and played a season and it was great. But it's not it's still not what I wanted to do. I like the competitive aspect of it. But that was about all I, li I liked being able to get on the court and play. And like go and actually beat someone and go and actually like feel like I had to push myself in that moment. But that was about all I liked. Like I think the practice aspect of it, the going every single day, it took a lot of the fun out of it for me. So what do you like about podcasting? Um, that's a good question. I'm not even sure I like podcasting, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure that I like it. Still, we've done I've done almost three hundred episodes at this point. Wow, I'm not that's a lot. I'm not convinced that this is a thing I've ever loved. What I love is just talking to people, and so like, you just need a team that does everything else for you. And I do. Yeah, I have that. Like everybody does everything else. I don't. I don't do any of the editing. I don't do any of the like. I do the social for us and. That's about it. And I was doing sales for us for a long time, but um, not anymore. So yeah, the only things that I do basically is pick up the mic, record it, upload the file and handle our social. But everything else, yeah, we, we have a team for. Because honestly, if I had to go through and edit it and do all that, as like that aspect of it, there's no shot in hell that I would do as many episodes as we've done, as consistently as, as we've done. Like, I don't think I've missed an episode in three years. You know what I mean? Like every single week, it's just a lot. And would I do some? Sure. But like, I wouldn't make it a career. So like props to anyone who does that because I love it. Me. Like I could do it every day and just, <sighs> I, it's the only thing I've ever found where I'm like, I could do this every day. I could also do public speaking every day. I love yeah. it. Like I could talk to people. I'm just really fascinated by like what makes people tick, especially yeah. if they've taken the path less traveled. Like I've always been fascinated by the outliers and the people who just do things a little differently, but who've used adventuring in nature as a catalyst to do so. Like even as yeah. a little girl, when I grew up in San Diego, there was a guy that rollerbladed in slow motion on the boardwalk <laughs> and they call him slow-mo. And he's this like famous doctor who like had this side hobby where he would just like slow motion rollerblade and he had these like wild costumes 
I'm like, what makes a guy who's a, you know, Stanford or Harvard, whatever trained doctor want to do that? I, yeah. I just find it fascinating. What makes people, you know, defy society's yeah. conventions and go become a rock climber and live in a van? Like, I always thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I... The conversation is what I've always liked about it and like learning about these people, especially like as I started to do more and more of them and like talking to athletes that I've grown up watching and and that aspect of it, I'm a huge fan of. I just have never cared for holding the microphone. Like I've never cared for like recording it. And, and honestly, half the time when I'm done recording the best conversation, the best bits of the whole thing is when the thing is off, right? And I wanted when I started to be able to get that in the episode as much as possible but now it's just every time i do one of these i end up making a friend and that to me became more important than anything else and that's why i'm still doing it because i meet these people you get to meet them in real life eventually you do activities with them like they become someone that you can call on and you know and you have a working relationship with and that side of it and telling that story is more important to me than anything else so like if there was a way for me to just like talk to people and get paid for that aspect of it and not ever record, I, <laughs> I would do that. <laughs> well, that assumes that we're going to be friends after. I know that is a big <laughs> assumption. Kidding. It is a I big assumption. Kidding. We're already, we're already <laughs> friends. I, I love meeting other podcasters cause it's always fun to sort of understand. I mean, you probably interviewed a lot of the same people I have. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Quite a few. I bet. Yeah. It's, and you can tell me how you feel about it. But every time I'm on another podcast, I'm like, what? This feels so odd to be on the other side of things for me. I just don't know. And I end up just like nitpicking what they do or like I end up just like wishing they asked this thing instead of this thing. And it's it's just funny because you put me in this opposite scenario from what I'm used to doing. So all I can see is the prep work that I do ahead of time, the way that I would go about asking questions. So like sitting in that chair, it makes it more difficult for me to be a guest sometimes. I am not judging you, just so you know. <laughs> you can judge no, me all you want. I, I don't I, mind. I, I, think... I haven't actually thought about that. Like I think I've done so many podcasts lately to talk about the book. Um, I don't know. I just really like talking to people and it, I was surprised people would even want to talk about the book. So to me, I'm just like excited yeah. that people are reading it because I spent three years writing this thing and so far only a few people have read it. So yeah. it feels for me really cool to get feedback and to be like, especially people who are adventurers yeah. who might be able to relate. And we're yeah. like, oh, and you're younger. So I'm like really curious to yeah. hear what you thought of it. Yeah. Well, I've got to finish my last third and then I'll let you know. But I... When is the book officially coming out? June? Comes out June 6th. Nice. Okay. Tell people a little bit about, like, give them the premise of the book a little bit. And I'm always interested in talking to writers because it's such, I love writing. I genuinely think it's like, it's the most sincere way to get things across sometimes. And I never, I will never be able to write something to that length. So I'm curious to see, I, I don't think, it's not that I don't think I can or whatever. I, I don't want to, I guess, because I just, 
I don't know. It, it feels very final. You know what I mean? So you can tell me. It first, does feel it, really final. That freaked it, me out. Like, it scares I like the shit out of me. <laughs> it, it, it was terrifying. And you know what? There's errors in here. So I think writing a book is a bit of an act of surrender. Like you just have to let go. Yeah. I was a little shocked at how some people were so concerned about fact-checking the parts where I included them in. And yeah. some people were upset that I didn't include them in the book. I was like, really? But like, you don't get upset I don't include you in a podcast or you don't care about fact-checking a podcast I did yeah. with you, but people do feel like books are feel final. Um, so the book, Will to Wild, Adventures Great and Small to Change Your Life, is part memoir, part stories from people I've interviewed over the years that I re-interviewed, obviously, for the book. And there's tips at the end of every chapter. And really, it's just, it's almost a guidebook in a way. And it's the book mm -hmm. I wish I'd always had whenever I was scared to quit my job, to end a relationship, to embark on an adventure, to paddle a portion of the Amazon River when we had no idea what was going to eat us or was below us. And every time, you know, there's a lot of books about adventure out there. And most of them have this like heroic story where the finish line is grandiose and this person has this cathartic moment and they change. And I wanted to be really real and talk about like what to do when you feel scared and stuck and you don't even know where to begin to like how to start with advice from people who've done it. And then what to do when everything goes haywire because even Yvonne Chouinard has said, it's not an adventure until everything goes wrong. And then I wanted to talk about things that you can use to get through and then also what to do when it's over. Because what I found in interviewing a lot of adventurers is sometimes when someone does a grand adventure, there's a little bit of post-adventure fatigue or even depression. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't talk about it. And I wanted to talk about it because, you know, there needs to be a way for you to bring that sense of adventure back to your everyday life, but also to give yourself grace at the end of the finish line. And I'm uh is that your doggy? Mm-hmm. Awesome. What's yeah, we'll your dog's name? Juno. Juno. What a, oh, of course. What a Number gorgeous 52, name. 52 unpopular dog names. I like Juno as a dog <laughs> name, but I think I also wanted a book that I would read. So I wanted to make it easy to read. You know, there's not going to be like any crazy literary terms in here. I wanted it to be fun. I wanted a wide range of adventures. So there's all sorts of adventures in here from twins who paddled on a paddleboard with their own hands from Alaska to Mexico to like a group of grandmas who started boogie boarding <laughs> at boogie board club to some women who started a run club to you know, body positive runners to a trail angel. I wanted to talk about trail angels and what those are because I ended up meeting one and found them to be so impactful. But, you know, it's really a book that for people who are already adventurers, it's a hall pass to say like, yes, this is why I adventure and I'm going to go adventure more because there's a lot of things you can do to change your life right now. Like people are trying all sorts of things from gurus to, you know, medications, whatever. But I really believe trying an adventure outside of nature is one of the most exciting things you can do to transform, especially if you're f stuck or scared. And for me personally, pursuing an adventure, even a small one, has always helped me feel more connected to myself, has helped me make better decisions. And, you know, every adventure I've done has been cathartic and transformational in some way. Yeah. And even as a little girl, I taught surfing lessons to women and mm -hmm. they'd come, they'd learn to ride a few waves. And shortly after a weekend or a week long clinic, someone would call me from the, the clinic saying, 
hey, Shelby, I quit my job or I ended this relationship I needed to end for good or I'm moving across the country by you to a place with a better beach. And so I just learned from a really young age that pursuing adventures in nature could be transformational. And I wanted this book to be a guidebook to show you how, if you never have, or to be reaffirmation for someone like your listeners who has already tasted the power of adventure, who wants to keep going. And, you know, maybe there's some insights along the way. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think you did a really great job with it because it's, like you said, it's almost a guidebook for someone that's like looking at whatever adventure it is and kind of looking for, it, it almost felt like I had a sense of camaraderie with you, like as the writer and with the story where I felt like, okay, like this person gets it. And you want to keep reading because you're like, oh, how much, how many things do I have in common with this person for this, you know, in this adventure, like how they're feeling. And like, I think that's what a lot of people look forward to, but don't always find in a lot of these adventure books. Because like you said, a lot of the books are just, here's this thing that I did and I wanted to write about it. And that stuff is great. And there's a lot to be said for it, but this is very different than that. Yeah. And who knows how it's going to do, but I'm, I'm glad you liked it. And I mean, I'll tell you, writing a book was hard. Like I feel differently about some things today than I did when I wrote it and started writing mm. it about it two years ago. I could clean up the language and keep rewriting it and rewriting. And now that there's AI, I would have used AI to edit <laughs> this thing. But you know, eventually, like a lot of adventures have, there was a deadline and I had to turn it in and set it free and set it into the world. And my hope is that I can connect with people in public more and that, you know, maybe someone who's read it will yell wiener really loud across the room. And if you're not that, that part of the book yet, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Or another word for wiener, actually. And, you know, that we all take ourselves less seriously, but also make more time to do the things we love outside with the people we love outside. Yeah. Have you always been good at that? Like taking the time that you need to when it comes to like spending time in it? Because it's a thing I struggle with. It's a, str it's a thing that so many people struggle with when they're trying to, they want to go out and do these things, but life has so many requirements to it that you don't always get that. So is that something that you struggle with or have you always been good at that aspect of it? I grew up in a family where like that was not a thing. Achieving was a thing and that meant like, achieving on paper um which I love my family they're great but like yeah I've learned to make adventure a priority I think for me um it's a big part of my mental wellness and is getting outside and because I've made it my career even though at times it hasn't been the most lucrative of choices I've made it's it's a non-negotiable for me and the yeah. reason it's a non-negotiable for me is because I decided adventuring is something I absolutely love to do. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's been times where like writing a book on deadline, you know, it's been the least adventurous I've been. I haven't left the country. Okay. I went to Costa Rica recently, but I haven't like really <laughs> gone anywhere new in a long time or did an adventure that really scared me. And I think that's okay. I think a lot of us were affected. I think a lot of us have been struggling with anxiety of some sort it's like the great the pandemic i think caused a lot of anxiety and for sure i think of this time as the great anxiety and we'll look back on it as the great anxiety <laughs> rather than like the great depression you know so many people but i think nature 
can be really healing. And I don't think we necessarily have to like go climb Everest. I have no desire to climb Everest. I'm never going to climb Everest. I'm probably never going to bike from Alaska to Mexico or even down the coast of California. I don't even really like biking the 20 minute ride up my big hill in San Diego. But I think that nature itself, however you adventure, whether you try bird watching or you have a picnic in a park or, you know, you just go for a walk or make a commitment to watch the sunrise or the sunset can be really healing. And Mm -hmm. I just think that like if we can prioritize it because it is hard, but it's also really easy and can be inexpensive. You know, yes, there's limits on adventure. Yes, access is not always equitable. And I think the outdoor industry has been working really hard to make the outdoors more inclusive, more equitable. It's not perfect, no. But it is one of the things that we can do for some of us that's easier than, you know, going to a resort or, you know, I think therapy is great, but I think therapy coupled with adventure is, or just nature time is, is really can be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's funny. That's one of the, like I would, I've been, I was going to a therapist during COVID and one of the things that they told me was like, yeah, this is all great. Like all these things are great by themselves and you should do them, but it all works better when you're doing all of the things. So whatever it is, whether it's skiing or just sitting outside, that becomes almost like it's the thing that pushes you over the edge into feeling consistency. So that way when you stop, you actually like have something to go lean on, right? It's like building those tools that make you happy or separate yourself from things. And there's plenty of days when I don't like, I didn't want to go for a bike ride today at all. I literally drove around to like four different trailheads in town to avoid going for a bike ride and then eventually forced myself to go do it. But it's always remembering that it's going to help me. I'm going to feel better at some point during the activity. And it's a thing that I need to keep my own sanity is to go out and do something every single day. So once I get past that first little bit, I'm, I'm kind of like feeling fulfilled. I'm feeling like I did the right thing, not just because the activity is great, but also because I kind of forced myself to go out and do a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, nobody ever says they regretted going surfing or going running or going mountain biking. Like rarely do you, are you like, ah, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have gone running or hiking today or gone on that nature walk. You do sometimes regret like having that extra glass of wine or staying up late on Instagram or, you know, there's things that, that, that are so easy. It's so easy for us to just sit and check social media all all day. I'm not going to lie. Like it's much easier to do that than to go outside to a trailhead. So good on you. But I think what I've learned in interviewing all these people and writing this book is like adventure, you know, you can go to therapy, you can take medicine, you can do all these things, but like adventure also builds courage in a way that nothing else can. And then you, once you have that courage from doing something grand, you take that with you to the rest of your life. So like I recently interviewed this guy, David Satcher, who had biked from... Alaska to Patagonia as a 19 year old. And this is a crazy wild idea. He'd never really camped or even ridden a bike with clip and pedals, but he did Mm -hmm. it. And he said that that seven months were so hard, but it formed, it sounds really cheesy. And he even said this (laughs) sounded cheesy, but he said it formed like a diamond in his soul that could, that he would take with him forever. 
And on that ride, he got this idea to start a series of climbing gyms that would become vital climbing gyms. They're 24-hour based bouldering gyms where community and kindness is a big proponent. And, you know, you're supposed to be able to enter with a key code. You don't need to check in. It's really inviting and warm. And he said even when he was looking for investor money, because he said he did this adventure and said he was going to do it and then did it, people were more likely to give him money. So I think one thing is if you're young and you're considering an adventure and you're scared to do it, I think it looks good on your resume. Yeah. I got a ton of jobs just because I said I had not the only reason why, but I think people were impressed that I'd spent a summer as a journalist covering a punk rock concert series for 60 days. Mm-hmm. And I basically invented how to like, I had to figure out how to send the stories every single day using a dial up phone line and, you know, invented this little column that I, I don't know if the warp tour still has it, but, um, it, it was really cool. There was, there was, a, I didn't invent the column. There was a column before me, but like I did a story every day and then a diary entry of what happened on the tour. But like that helped get me other jobs saying I went and taught surfing to Costa Rica seemed a little weird on a resume, but people thought I was interesting. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think adventure makes you more interesting. I think life experience makes you more interesting and sometimes more hireable. Yeah. Yeah. And and you pull, to his point, to your point, you pull so many things out of doing these hard activities that you don't really expect to, too. I, I think, and I think when people look at it on a resume, there's something to be said for people that are reading that and understand like what it takes to go and commit to something for a long period of time, what it takes to go and do something really difficult. And that's something to hang your hat on for yourself and for anybody looking to hire you. It's just, it's just a really cool thing to be able to say you did and show a certain level of like grind and commitment to whatever it is that you're doing. And yeah, it might not make you any money at the time. It might not be like a job per se, but I think people are starting to be more and more interested in who they're hiring like as a person and not just like another resume. And I think, um, Adam, also I said I invented something. I didn't invent anything. So if you want to cut that out, you can. (laughs) If not, your listeners can just enjoy listening to me try to pretend like I use the word inventing for nothing. (laughs) But I think something adventure also does is like when you are outside in nature with someone, I think you get the intimate connection with another person that you don't always get somewhere else like think about the conversations you've had while walking on the beach with someone while mountain biking with someone at a campfire like people tend to open up and they're a little bit more vulnerable because you're all going through these crazy elements together so like I used to teach surfing to women and (laughs) it was wild because you know women would often come because this was their wild idea to take a one-week surfing clinic in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them had been going through something, a, a change in relationship, a change in jobs, and they were all learning to surf together. And so, you know, they were all stripped of like, didn't matter if they were the CEO of a big company or they were really young, just starting out in their career. They're all at the same level, all going through the same waves and learning to surf and so they really opened up at the end of the night they also got really wild at the end of the night and there was like skinny dipping and shenanigans and all sorts of crazy things but that's part of adventure 
And I'm a real fan of, and I wish I would have written about this a little bit more in the book, but I'm a real big fan of debaucherous, joyful fun. That's, you know, appropriate in a way. And just having fun and being silly and, you know, having some shenanigans that are, you know, fun and upbeat. I don't know. we, We take ourselves really seriously. Sometimes when we adventure, we fall a lot. And we, if we can learn to laugh at ourselves when we fall and fail, especially surfing a wave or, you know, it's not always funny when you fall on your mountain bike, but. Yeah, but, but it, it, it is like, honestly, most of the time, like. It's funny. I, I hit a tree like three times today. You know what I mean? Like, and I ride like all the time. It Good will never you. not be funny to me, no Good. matter what, because even when I get hurt, I'm like, I'm an idiot. Like, this is not. This is not what I needed to do right now, but it's hilarious that this is still happening to me. Like I posted something on our Instagram story today. It's like there's this one drop and there's a tree right after it. And I've ridden this trail behind my house a hundred times and probably 99 of those times I've hit the same tree. It's just, it's never going to, it's almost a bit that I feel like my brain and my body have decided is funny at this point because it's just going to keep happening. And I, I think the people even at the highest level of the sport that can still laugh at themselves when they're doing whatever it is. I mean, some stuff obviously is real serious and it's not funny and people get hurt, especially in the mountains. But I think on the day to day, not taking yourself so serious is, is a huge part of it. And that's one of the nicest things about working in the outdoor industry is like, it doesn't have to be that serious all the time. And there's so much opportunity to connect with people outside. And that's one of the things that the pandemic actually I think made better for a lot of people I used to have five zoom meetings a week or something with sponsors and now my girlfriend was saying something like what I'm in a courtroom right now like dealing with clients and like doing all this stuff and you're out having meetings while skiing like that's like so it kind of puts it in perspective like for how lucky we are to be within this community because you can kind of do this stuff and connect with people in a very intimate way while still being productive, but doing what you really enjoy to do. I have a tip for you about you're holding your microphone. Do you have a stand? I do. Okay. I do. I don't have one. I don't have one at home. It's actually not that bad. I actually have gotten used to holding it at home. Like it's not, and the audio comes out the set. These things are awesome. These like little procasters, okay. they like amazing. I don't have one of those, I, but my stand is seven dollars. Yeah, I I my have podcast like, has had millions of downloads. There's it's probably awesome. twenty stands, you know, that exist within this room to the office, and I still like am refusing to use them. It just, I don't know. I like I like holding the microphone lately. I don't know. That's awesome. You know, you'd asked me earlier about podcasting and. I've always been, it doesn't look like it by the way I brush my hair or like don't brush my hair, but I've always been a bit of a perfectionist about yeah. my work. Yeah. And I liked that in podcasting, I'd have a show that came out every single week, no matter what. And I had, it was so fast paced for me because I didn't even know how to hold a microphone or yeah. how, what a Zoom was, <laughs> a Zoom H6 handy recorder. I didn't know how to press any of these buttons. I like had to pay some guy at Best Buy to show me how to use it. It was awful. But there was so much to learn and so much to do that I just had to like let go of perfectionism and make decisions and just go no matter what. And I think like when you're hiking a trail, you know, you just got to get to like your next point 
And yeah. so you're just, you're not going to worry about all these little stupid things that if you have a neurotic brain, like I do, you just have to surrender to it and let go. So yeah. I like that about podcasting, writing yeah. a book. Ugh, you had to be a little bit more perfect and there's going to be errors in this book. I'm okay with it. Yeah. If you see one and you find one, it's part of, it's, maybe it's part of it. Maybe it's part of the, pro- probably it's wasn't part of the podcasting. Yeah. It's part um, of the podcasting just seeping know, through. You can just laugh at it. Yeah. Laugh at me, go. laugh at it. It's all good. That's the message. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's funny. That's, that's one of the things that I've like, I'm not a perfectionist when it comes to this stuff. Like I genuinely don't care. My business partner is a perfectionist <laughs> about everything. It is like, That's he a good keeps business me in partner line to have. with, Oh, it's, it's a great combination because he is like the most neurotic person I've ever met in my life. And I'm could not be farther from that. Like he'd probably blow a head gasket right now at me holding this microphone like this, but I've done it for the last six episodes and he hasn't noticed. So like, I, I don't think it's going to change anything. It's, I love it. it. it's funny. And it's just, it's just the way it goes. Um, what was, I got a couple more for you. What, sure. what was the hardest part about writing the book for you? It's very different than just talking for hours, at least from the outside looking in, but what, what made it difficult for you to actually go and get this thing done? I had some things that I had some obstacles that happened that I didn't expect. Um, sitting was the hardest. Like, I just don't <laughs> like sitting. Yeah. I couldn't figure out, like, I definitely have a standing desk, you know, but like I had to like sit down and write. I think rewriting was really hard. I didn't realize how many times I would have to rewrite this book. Um, you know, I did this through traditional publishing and I ended up selling this book to a really great, dream publisher Simon and Schuster but the publishing industry is going through some things so the person I sold the book to ended up getting fired and the person who signed on wanted me was a business editor and she was wonderful but she wanted me to write this book organized by types of wild ideas and length and I was like dude a wild idea is wild if it's wild to you it's not about length Mm. or like you know, an adventure is an adventure if it's adventurous to you. It's not about the length. And so that was a little tricky. You know, we had to, I had to write a book a little bit how I wanted it and a little bit how my publisher wanted it. And then that person quit. <laughs> I got another <laughs> publisher at, um, another editor at my publishing company who was a runner and a sailor and, and she got it. And we ended up, you know, but to me, the hardest part is that I'm used to deadline reporting from a magazine or a newspaper's perspective or a podcast. When you write an article for a newspaper, you write it and it comes out like the next day or two days after the latest, maybe a week later if you're writing for a weekly newspaper, which I did as a kid. For magazines, you write an article and like the most it comes out is like three months later, you have to wait. Books, you like hurry up and have to write and turn in chapters and then the editor at the publishing company takes a couple of weeks or months to maybe get back to you. And then you got to turn it in again. And that that time period, and then your book doesn't even come out for like, uh, this thing has been written for a long time and I couldn't touch it <laughs> even when it was done. I think that was what was hard for me is like, I couldn't keep editing it. Yeah. And it took so long to come out after I've written it. But the most fun was recording the audio book because I mm. got to read the book and I got to say the other word for wiener really loud and (laughs) there's some just funny parts that when you read it out loud are hysterical because 
I wasn't quite sure how to say it. I mean, there's a couple cuss words in there and I was like nervous about saying it. And the editor I had was this like really cool musician who had played with like a famous folk musician. And he had me like redo the words O-F like a million times. And it was so funny because I don't know, just was. You'll have to listen to the audiobook. If you listen to the podcast, buy the audiobook. Yeah. Don't read the book. Just buy the audiobook. Do you and you can get it for free? Are you a reader or are you an audiobook audiobook person? Like does it do you like one over the other? I mean you're a podcaster, right? Like it's similar. I think I would have been an audiobook reader had I grown up like ten years earlier and just yeah. grown up with it because i grew up reading i read and at night i used to only read nonfiction, but now that i just wrote a nonfiction book i only want to read fiction <laughs> i want to be completely transported out of my world i don't want to hear about the latest health hacks anymore i have another podcast called vitamin joy where i talk about you know the intersection of mental health with humor because i'm really fascinated with it you know wild ideas really is a little bit about the intersection of mental health an adventure that that's what this book is about um but yeah i like reading fiction so i'm a i'm a reader yeah randomly yeah but i like listening to podcasts when i'm driving or sometimes when i'm running yeah yeah i it's funny i don't really listen to podcasts anymore like at all i it's just not like i i can't tell you i got i got a little bit into uh one recently but that was like that was it. I, I just can't do it anymore, especially with all the other shows. It's like I'm listening to their shows. I'm listening to like bits and pieces so that we can take stuff for social. And it, you know, it's I it has all felt like a job now, like listening to a podcast. So I just I don't know. I don't even listen to them anymore. But audiobooks is the thing that I'm super into. So like there definitely is a difference, I think, for the listener when, you know, when it's a story and when it has some kind of linear progression in a way. What if it's like produced? Like our podcast now, it used to be just an hour conversation, but Wild Ideas with Living is now 30 minutes, highly produced, edited, and there's music. And I find it so much easier to listen to it. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Genuinely, like it's a it's a hard thing for me. And the thing with some of the shorter ones, too, is like it's I start it and I want to be I want to just be able to do stuff and not pay attention. And on shorter ones sometimes and I have the same problem when I do shorter ones, I I worry about, okay, are people going to go and like, I don't know, work in their house, work on a project and be able to get through a 30 minute episode and and continue on and feel like they got something out of it. You know what I mean? Like versus a lot of people that listen to the show have told me tons of times they like the shorter episodes. They like the short, fast format. And that's where a lot of media has gone right now, right? Where people aren't investing themselves in super long format stuff. They're just going, they just want quick hits, right? They want it to be edited. They want it to be tight. They want to get like the main points. So I think I don't know. I think it goes both ways, but I, I haven't figured out what works for me yet. So I'll have to try listening to yours with the music, with the production, and see if it makes a difference for me. Try it. I, I will. I, I don't know which one you should start with. Maybe maybe, maybe, maybe the last one. We'll see. Okay. I'll, I'll give it a try and I'll let you know how it goes. Um, last thing I want to ask you, someone's reading the book. Someone bought the book. What What do you hope someone gets out of it as a reader as this story is kind of coming across to them? 
I hope they just know that there's someone there to hold their hand and that they're like not alone if they want to try a wild idea, no matter yeah. how small or big or scary it might seem. And that they go for it. Yeah. A book starts with this question. Are you going to go? And that was a question that was asked to me when I was surfing, a wave that terrified me. But I think that question applies to the rest of your life. I think eventually, you know, when you drop in, yeah, you might fall. But you yeah. also might catch the ride of your life. And you might go and then fall, but at least you went. And if you don't go, all you have is regret or a wonder if. And so I'd rather you just go anyway. Um, and that's really what the Wheel to Wild is about. It's about choosing to go and to have this life where you intentionally choose to have some sort of relationship with nature, whatever that looks like for you, you know? And I think it's personal. So I tried to, I hope readers take a little bit of that away and I hope if they can take one thing from this book or my podcast, it's that kindness is a game changer and it's one of the most important tools you can have along with humor when you go adventure outside in nature. And that doesn't just mean being kind to other people, but to yourself. We're all really hard on ourselves. And I think when we're nicer to ourselves, like, nature's pretty nice to itself um you know we can go a lot further yeah i love that that's awesome where where can people find your podcast where can people get the book when it comes out like where where can people connect with you i mean how do they how do they get in touch how do they actually support you you have to come find me at a coffee shop in San Diego. <laughs> I hope someone does. I really hope someone does. I'm so easy to find. I have like a website that's my, I mean, I must seem so narcissistic. I have a website that's called shelbystanger.com. The podcast <laughs> is called Wild Ideas Worth Living. It's an REI Co-op Studios production. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. I have a, a podcast called Vitamin Joy that I'll be bringing back. The book, Will to Wild, Adventures Great and Small to Change Your Life, comes out June 6th. It's available wherever you can buy books, Amazon, even in REI stores, not until June 6th, but you can pre-order it online anymore, anywhere, Barnes & Noble, at your independent bookstore. I'll be doing some live events at Outdoor Retailer, um, at some REI stores. I'll be leading a hike or two, or maybe someone else will be leading it, hopefully, and I'll be <laughs> just talking. Um, otherwise, we might get lost. Um, I will be doing a bunch of events in San Diego, and hopefully I'll get to the East Coast, because I really like my East Coast people. They got they got a hustle. Yeah. You know, the East Coast hustle is something I really <laughs> appreciate and love, and you have good food, and you have beautiful fall leaves and colors <laughs> and I don't know. My, my, my man is from the East coast. I like East coast people. They're, they're sweet. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone call East coast people sweet, but I, uh, I will definitely, okay. depending on that. where you are in the East coast. Yeah. They, I was going to say this like attitude that's, con- yeah, that's a like, little mean and it's funny yeah. because they can be so salty. <laughs> they mean it though you know what i mean like they're like they're genuine and i think that's a thing you don't genuinely salty (laughs) yeah they're like they're just honest with you and they'll be honest with you when they like you too it's it's really funny i I, yeah it is a it's a i like that you did tell me if you liked my book or not you're like "Mm, i don't know i'm only two thirds of the way done i started with i told you i liked it i think it's great i'm excited the best part is jeff i think one of the best parts is um the chapter on fear because mm. that's the chapter where there's some really 
funny, funny stories. That's that's one of my favorite chapters. But yeah, everybody I've who's interviewed me about the book so far has liked a different part, which I was like, wow, that's cool. Okay, good. Yeah. You know what I'm excited for about it actually is to go back and start it from the beginning when I don't feel like I'm rushing through it to have this conversation. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've had a few people that have written books on and I always like, I have the conversation, I read the book so that I can be prepared for the interview and, and kind of go off like that. And then afterwards I end up reading it and I enjoy it so much more because there's, I can read it at my own pace. I can do it at my own thing and I kind of take it. I don't know. I kind of take it the way I want it to go as opposed to just being like, all right, I got to finish at least this much by this point. You know, it feels like sometimes it feels like a homework assignment more than it feels like I want to read this. I've definitely been guilty of not reading a guest book because I just didn't have enough time. (laughs) Like I got it the night before the interview is the next day or two days before and I had something else going on. And, you know, you do what you can and you let them talk about their book. But um, exactly. I actually wrote this book so that you could skim it. Yeah. And you could like flip to the parts that you liked because I don't read every book that yeah. I buy and I'm like totally okay putting it half down. So I was like, you know what? If you don't want to read this whole thing, there's these like sidebars and places at the end and it's organized by chapters. So you could find the chapter that applies to you and read that. Yeah. Or you could just listen to a bunch of my podcasts. Although the stories in the book are pretty different than the ones yeah. I've, I've told. So No, people should buy the book. People should buy the book, read the book. And then listen to the podcast. I think they have or to Or just do... listen to the book. Yeah. Or just listen to the book. Whatever you want. Thanks, like there's Adam. an opportunity. Yeah. You're exactly. now hired to be my salesperson. I'm trying <laughs> to sell you some books here. Like they don't need to listen to the podcast until they listen to the book or they read the book, whatever it is. That's that's how it should go. Well, they should listen to your podcast and then buy the book. And then well, I you hope... should come do my sales for me. <laughs> I don't want to do sales anymore. I'm done. I, I can't. No chance. But maybe I'll see you while I'm doing sales at Outdoor Retailer. Adam, I kind of feel like your next gig, you're going to start a brand. Is this true? I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I've thought about it a lot. I I think about those things. I know you have. That would be be like the next natural progression with someone who'd spent their time in retail, seen all these brands come in, knows what works, (laughs) knows what doesn't sell. I mean, you have like this incredible like perspective of what will and will not work. Yeah. That not many people who start brands have. I I agree, but I also, I like the position that I'm in because we get a lot of gear for test. We write a lot of reviews Great. and like that's yeah, what I did awesome. at the shop. And like, I like being able to pick on things on <laughs> gear that I don't like. Like, I, like we're doing a series now where I'm like trying to find the perfect water bottle. So we just like ordered 20 water bottles, had people send in water bottles. So like... I can just like pick apart all these little things because I'm I'm convinced that a perfect product doesn't exist in every category. It's I, I was having the same conversation with backpacks actually, because like I have an obsession with collecting different backpacks that people send for test or like I've acquired over the years because there's so many things I like about a specific pack, but none of them have all of the things that I like. Right. And it's that's what so you I'm write kinda... honest reviews and you'll even like be honest when something kind of. Oh, sucks. yeah. Yeah. There's I love plenty this, of things. Adam. Yeah. So no other gear review person that I've ever <laughs> met. And I know all the gear sites intimately. Yeah. They only write about what they like. If they don't like it, they just don't write about it. Yeah. Because yeah. they're tied to advertising dollars. Sorry. So yeah. that's the truth. So good on you, Adam, for 
being the honest, salty gear reviewer. <laughs> like I'm trying. That. James Wong, actually, who writes for uh, Escape now, which used to be Cycling Tips, used to be like a, a whole bunch of different stuff. He's the only other one that I've seen consistently be like, fuck this. This is terrible. I don't want anything to do with like he just wrote a review a few weeks ago about this like $15,000 bike that someone sent him. And he's like, this is the biggest piece of shit I've ever ridden in my life. And I'm like, someone just sent you a car's worth of bicycle and you're going to write literally like verbatim. This is the biggest piece of shit I've ever ridden in my life. Like that is an it's insane so thing. So I'm not quite at that point, but I'm, I'm happy to pick some things apart. I like that you're honest about it. I'd be happy to write about wetsuits and surf gear if anybody wants to hear from a 42-year-old woman. <laughs> I actually like intimately understand like swimsuits because I worked for body glove and wetsuits yeah. um, and surf gear for women. It's so funny, you know? I, I think yeah. in many years ago, they would just take the women, the men's clothes and then mm -hmm. kind of adapt it to women. And now some companies are really starting to like think about fit and feel for women, but it's not, you'd be surprised. It's not a hundred percent there yet across yeah. all brands. Some brands are doing better than others. Like body glove actually makes really good swimsuits. Um, but to find a swimsuit that stays on while you surf and looks cute, mm. it's been, it's been a challenge in the industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny to me that there's still so much bad product out there. Like there's so many brands and the information is available for everybody. Like the molds are all there. It's not, and I don't know if it's out of laziness or if it's just not caring or knowing people will still just go and buy shit and try it. I, I don't know what it is, but luckily there's a lot less bad stuff now than there was yeah, when I first I, started this, but it, there's still I mean, a lot of not good. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm in my forties now and I'll, I will say like, it's so cool as a little girl. I surfed in soccer shorts and a sports right. bra. And right. now there's like board shorts and onesies and paddle suits. And like, I used yeah. to run in my soccer shorts as well. And now there's like really nice run gear and sports bras and there's size inclusivity, which is really cool. Cause not everybody's like built like me or whoever, you know, yeah. we, 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 a range of people have different sizes. I don't know. It has expanded and it is cool to see all the, I'm excited. We're going to be both at outdoor retailer. We can go geek out on gear. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of cool I'm doing stuff an there. REI book signing, I think, in Salt Lake City, June 19th, I think, at night. And then June okay. 20th, I have a talk at the Ranger Station, where I'm basically nice. going to give my TEDx talk and cater <laughs> it to business. Awesome. I love that. Well, I'm excited to see you there. I appreciate the time very much. This Thank has been you. Great. It's really cool to talk to a fellow podcaster. Anytime you want to talk about microphone stands that cost $7, <laughs> expensive equipment, talk about gear. Yeah. I would love to. Awesome. Thank you.